Hello and good evening. Welcome to another episode of Between the Presets, a podcast by me, Rudy Stetner, that comes out every Monday evening. Here is the place where anything that can be said in polite company is fair game for discussion, even if it occasionally offends. Let's roll. There is a saying in English, a picture is worth a thousand words. It's become a cliche. When you say the same thing over and over again, people stop listening to it. I once achieved the same impact as a picture, not from seeing or hearing, but from taste. When I was growing up, my mother made iced tea. Uh, She had a very unusual way of making it. I was never quite able to duplicate it. She would get several tea bags and she would uh, kind of brew them on the stove with the flame under them um, and sort of make, I guess, a concentrate. And then she did something with sliced lemons that she cooked along with the tea. Uh, It was very complicated. But she, she, during the summer months, she would put out that iced tea and it was just unsurpassed. Whenever I was at anybody else's house and they offered me iced tea, um, I learned politeness because I was always disappointed tasting iced tea at somebody else's house. It was never, ever like my mother's. I think I learned, got a valuable lesson in tact uh, from hiding my disappointment at tasting iced tea that was like acceptable, but just not great. So fast forward to the early 1980s. Uh, I was engaged and went to meet my in-laws. A couple times before the wedding and my mother-in-law offered me iced tea so I was getting ready for the same old same old disappointment tasting the iced tea and it was basically glorified sugar water with uh, you know the bitterness of black tea slight bitterness of black tea And, oh, I I was astounded. Uh, The tea tasted exactly like the tea that my mother made. Tasting that tea made me feel like my wife and I were um, missing halves of a uh, dollar bill that had been rejoined and was now at its full value again. So I asked my mother-in-law, how did you make this tea? This tastes exactly what I grew up with. So she says, well, I just add a little bit of orange juice to it. And um, astoundingly simple. Uh, I watched her make some. She made it. She made a pot of cold, ice cold black tea. And 
added a little bit of orange juice. It doesn't take much because there is a chemical reaction when one adds the orange juice to the tea that it kind of takes the rough edges off of the black tea. Because, if you know, if you leave a tea bag in the cup for too long, it gets very bitter. Uh, something that is solved with like a drop or two of lemon juice. Don't overdo it. And it was such a simple method that unlike my mother's iced tea, which I never mastered, um, I was able to actually accomplish this myself uh, with my gastronomically challenged uh, repertoire of uh, cooking and food preparation skills. So that uh, today I make a half a gallon of it uh, with great ease. I get four high quality tea bags, throw them into a half a gallon of water, leave it in the refrigerator for minimum two hours, preferably three or four, and then pour it into another bottle, leaving the tea bags behind, which I then throw out. And then I uh, add orange juice, and I, I leave it to each individual consuming the uh, tea to sweeten their tea or not. So iced tea, for me, is not just a recipe. It's a statement of my views in life. For starters, everyone has their own preferences as to how to sweeten or to salt uh, food, how to season it. There are widely varied tastes in my family. And to make tea uh, or anything else in such a way that people can add what they please or not is accepting the difference. It's, it's embracing the differences among people, which is what I prefer to do. And the powerful metaphor that the um, discovery of my mother-in-law's iced tea um, served as a reminder that you can have a shared goal and you can have a different way of reaching it. Um, my mother's iced tea was fantastic. Uh, I wish she could come back to life and make, make some of it. It was truly special. My mother-in-law's iced tea was equally special. One goal, one objective, can be reached two different ways. Two people can passionately be devoted to achieving something and do so through uh, totally different means. This lesson of shared goals, different means, different strategies, uh, that's a lesson that could be carried on to the political sphere. If we could stop pretending that we're in favor of um, law and order or everyone having enough to eat uh, and a place to live, 
and the other side is in favor of war and homelessness and hunger, uh, we could have some real rational discussions. And this is something that I learned very, very eloquently, not from a political speech, but from two ladies who lived a few hundred miles from each other, making iced tea different ways and coming up with a taste that's almost identical. Now, having learned a valuable lesson from tea, iced tea and how it's made, I also learned a bit from coffee. First time I ever had Turkish coffee was in Zagreb back in 1973. They asked me if I want Turkish coffee and I go, sure. So they poured me a little cup. I noticed the, the brewing was a little bit different. And I put sugar in it. I used quite a bit of sugar back then. Downed it and my throat felt like it was paved in gravel. What no one told me was that in Turkish coffee, the grounds are not uh, separated by a paper filter. They're not separated by the metal filter of an espresso cup, but they are left to settle in the cup. So I didn't know that. And that you, that you usually leave the last few drops of the coffee in the cup. So I drank that first cup of Turkish coffee, and that was a traumatizing experience. But what was interesting, well, there was a couple things that were interesting about that cup of Turkish coffee in Zagreb, is that Croatia is still a, has predominantly Christian Catholic country, and um, still, a, it's still a small, smaller minority of Muslims, despite all of the demographic shifts. But when they were under Ottoman rule, under the rule of the Ottoman Empire, Turkish cuisine did, in some respects, influence them. And Turkish coffee was a remnant of of the place I was in, having been a part of the Ottoman Empire. Another thing that was very interesting about Turkish coffee is how it changes its name going over borders. You go to Greece, uh, it's the coffee is often made the same way. It is not called by the same name. It is called Greek coffee. I never quite caught what they called it in Albania, but uh, I did note in Albania that the cuisine and the language were strongly influenced by the hundreds of years that Albania was a remoter province of the Ottoman Empire. You get the same thing in um, English, in the English language. 
that uh, England was for about 250 years, ending in the latter part of the 1200s, occupied by France. And it left a huge imprint on the English language. Under Norman French rule, the courts conducted their business in Norman French. And to these day, to, to this day, uh, quite a few of the legal terms that are used in, um, legal parlance are derived from French from that period of time when uh, England was under French rule. And uh, the percentage of, uh, of English drops quite a bit when you're dealing with uh, other endeavors, say farming or whatever. But that's, uh, the, when you look at the Turkish coffee, uh, you see how people can be talking about the same thing, uh, but they have to be using the same words or at least listen to each other <coughs> to know that they're talking about the same thing. I was once in um, Muncie, and I, there's, there's a higher percentage of people in Muncie, Muncie who are against the state of Israel, uh, believe that we should be waiting until Mashiach, until the Messiah comes, before we have a um, Jewish role in the Holy Land. And I went into a deli, and the people running the deli were Hasidic, and I asked the lady behind the counter, uh, could I have some Israeli salad? So she says, we don't have Israeli salad. So I look in the glass case, you know, behind the counter, and I see clear as day, Israeli salad, chopped as finely as I like it, marinated in dressing like uh, Israeli salad is. And I say, well, what's that? And she says, that's not Israeli salad, that's vegetable salad. I think it would be cute to draw a cullen, to draw, have an atlas where it is a culinary map of uh, Europe, Asia, and Africa. The map of Europe would be one color for areas where tea is predominant, uh, one for where coffee is predominant, and it should be shaded in different ways according to how the tea or coffee is prepared. Some parts of Europe would be, would have Turkish coffee predominant, others would have espresso, and then there's, uh, you know, kind of like the paper filter and this and that that other areas have. And all of these maps, I believe, would coincide with the boundaries, political boundaries, who was ruled by whom, uh, etc. Of course, Turkish coffee would be defining the borders, say, of the Ottoman Empire. The high point of my week, 
I would say is Friday night. And on Friday night, when we come home from synagogue, we uh, say sing a few songs and say a blessing over a cup of wine and then over bread. And over wine, we bless the seventh day, the day on which the Almighty completed the creation of the world. It's a holiday that comes every week, 52 times a solar year. But my tastes in wine, over which I like to say the blessing, run towards the middle of semi-dry. There are other people in my family who like like wine sweet. Um, I sometimes jokingly yet a bit derisively refer to really sweet wine as a great product. But anyhow, what I do is I load up the cup with the wine that I prefer. Uh, We call it the Kiddush cup. I empty it into a cup, which is I, uh, part of what two cups, part of which I drink from, and a part of which I pass around, and to the cup that um, I pass around, I add wine that is far sweeter than is good for my personal tastes, or for that matter, for my health since I'm supposed to limit my sugar intake. And I feel that not only am I making uh, a ritual cup of wine more palatable to all assembled, I am also making uh, a statement that that cup, that Kiddush cup as we call it, symbolizes life. And everyone should be able to drink from the cup of life as much as possible, whatever is pleasing to them. That that is how I live my life. And every once in a while, it's a good idea to push to the edge of your comfort zone. If you prefer dry wine, try a little sweet wine. Biggest push I ever made against my comfort zone, and I'm glad I did, is concerning peanuts. I grew up with roasted peanuts. That's just what you ate. I didn't even know there was such a thing as raw peanuts until quite a bit later. And then my wife offered me boiled peanuts. My reaction was, what? Boiled peanuts, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. But sometimes I like eating stuff just to be weird. Like when I was a little kid and I was with my brother and sister and we made peanut butter, ketchup, and mustard sandwiches. They were tolerable. And then we made ice cream sandwiches where you get ice cream. And you put it between two slices of rye bread. And that was actually pretty decent. So in that spirit of ice cream sandwiches and ketchup, peanut butter, and mustard sandwiches, I figured I'll try boiled peanuts. You only live once.
they were actually good. They were salted. They're kind of boring if they're not. And uh, ever since then, I've always I've always been uh, up for it if my wife makes boiled peanuts. So if you want to uh, Google how to prepare that, um, by all means do so. But remember, it's not just pictures that tell stories. Your cup of iced tea can tell you a story. The coffee or the Israeli salad or vegetable salad, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons for calling it vegetable salad, given your politics or whatever. Food tells a story too. You just gotta li- you just gotta listen to it, and I've I find my life has been enriched that way. And above all, there's more than one way to achieve the same objective. And some ways are simpler, like my mother-in-law's way of making iced tea was simply, well, it was much simpler, much easier to achieve very desirable results without a lot of uh, intricate steps that could be messed up. And uh, I think even my mother would agree that my mother-in-law's iced tea was better because she, she had a saying, the simplest way is simply the way. It was not original. She, was, um, she used to study med- meditation and, um, you know, uh, Eastern meditation, what have you. That was her saying. The simplest way is simply the way. Uh, I suppose I could find issue with that, but when it comes to iced tea, it works just fine. So, y'all have a blessed week. This is Rudy Statner. It's been a pleasure speaking with y'all. This wraps up another weekly episode of Between the Presets. I thank you all for the pleasure of sharing with me my weekly muse. Whatever platform you access, hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a comment is much appreciated. My email address is thewinterriders at gmail.com. Thewinterriders at gmail.com. Until next week, adio which in some African languages means born on Monday or be righteous and closely resembles adios in Spanish.